Hey you, thanks for tuning into the Waiting List Podcast. I'm Long Long. I'm Daniel. And I'm Jacqueline. And we are three watch friends with a healthy obsession for watches. So sit back and relax with us while we chat with collectors, industry giants, and share some good vibes. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of the Waiting List Podcast. Today on our show, we have Morton, the founder of an independent watch brand called Zentier. So welcome to our show, Morton. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. So before I begin with the first question, I just wanted to say with the podcast, all the times I have thought about bringing someone onto the show, it kind of makes me reflect on how we first met, how we first started talking. So then I kind of went back and I went through our chat and I realized we actually connected in 2020. So it's kind of like coming two years now. And then through our conversations, I learned a lot about you. And in, in a way that's like, it's not, I, I wouldn't say it's very deep, but I think all the little bits of facts that I learned about you were very interesting and unexpected. So I want to explore that part a bit. So before we go straight into the watches, right? I want to talk about um, you being a professional Latin American dancer. So I don't think everyone knows that. So how did you get started into that? I had a feeling that was going to be the first question. Oh, of course. Isn't that like your life? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is, that is true. That is, yeah. that has been my entire life up until this moment. Um, and I have an older brother, two years older than me, who started dancing, I think at the age of five or six. A uh, couple of years later, I was dragged to the dance school. Absolutely hated it. <laughs> didn't want to go. The other boys are playing football. Can't see the purpose of me wearing high heels with <laughs> what I thought they were at the time. So I refused to put on the dance shoes. I just wore my outdoor shoes. And when I figured out I had to dance with a girl, I was not having it. I'm like, I'm going home. So it was not a great, it was not a great success from the beginning. Um, but after a few years, I think the competitive edge took over. And I started realizing that this was something that I wanted to be good at. I wanted to succeed at it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think I just never looked back. I never stopped. It just became everything to me. It completely consumed me. My thoughts, the way I lived, everything in my life was dancing. Okay, so before we I, uh, recording, yeah, sorry, Dan, I just, I just, nah, I was just gonna say, right, I was dying to get in there straight yeah. away. I bet you don't yeah. complain about the girls now. Yeah, yeah, like, I knew you were gonna say mate, that. the girls do not complain about a man that can dance, yeah. you know, and all the professional dancers, ballroom dancers that I've seen, they got great bodies. Yeah, exactly. You know, I knew you were great bodies. And I, I think actually that first question, is a, a, a thinly veiled attempt to understand more about your body from Long Long, actually. No, no. So this is exactly why before we started recording, I said to you, hey, is this how you imagined what he will look like? Because oh. like not knowing his background, right? You would never guess. Yeah. But now that you see him and he talks about it, you're like, of course he's a dancer. Well, I'm actually very interested to see his moves. Because it's one of those things where you see them on TV or, you know, it might pop up on your YouTube. And, uh, you know, I'm from the UK and there was a very popular show called uh, Strictly, Strictly Come Dancing or something like that. Mm -hmm. It was like a ballroom dancing competition with uh, celebrities or, or yeah. B-listers. Yeah. And you just used to watch them because it, it's so beautiful. The, the, 
even if you're not into it, you can appreciate the movements, the difficulty in executing. Um, there's also this kind of uh, throwback to a, a bygone era, you know, with the outfits and stuff that I really, really enjoyed as well. Uh, almost like this art deco kind of feel. Um, so that's what I feel when I think of like professional dancing. Well, what are the shoes oh, yeah. like? I, uh, what, what are the shoes like for guys? Oh, the guys in, in Latin American dancing wear uh, what we call a Spanish heel. So it's like, it's a, it's like an elegant shoe, but it has a two in like two, 1.5 inch heel. So it's a little bit of a, a heel on that. Okay. It's not too bad. I could do with those extra inches on my height. <laughs> I'll get you yeah. up here. Yeah. I'll get you. Yeah, because I'm, I'm like five foot seven, so I, I need every inch I can get. Okay, so um, you have been in Hong Kong for now over eleven years, right? Where were you previously, and what made you move here? Well, so originally I'm from Denmark, and that's where I was. Uh, the majority of the time up until I moved to Hong Kong. But having said that, I did spend around six months a year in London. Mm-hmm. And during the first, let's say, 10 years up until COVID, I also spent about half of the time in the UK mm-hmm. and half of the time in Hong Kong. Uh, what, what is the reason you were in the UK? Was it for like just dancing or... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think the UK, uh, London in particular, has always been the center of ballroom dancing mm-hmm. um, up until recently, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of dancers has lived there, worked there, taught there, uh, and had still until today, the major competitions, the British Open, the United Kingdom Open, are based in in the UK. So that's why the couples, they tend to uh, stay close to or spend a lot of time in the UK. I see. Dan, so how come you didn't learn how to dance at all? Well, I don't know. Yes. What happened I, don't know. To you? I think, I think to be honest, I, I can really feel what um, Morton says because about guys going into like ballroom dancing, mm-hmm. it, you just sit, think of it and you think it's not the kind of thing you, you just don't feel very manly about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think, uh, but I think that stigma is changing, you know, because of shows like Strictly, um, you know, this, I think there must be a kind, some kind of boom in the UK for this kind of dancing, especially walk towards like, I, I don't know, probably more elderly as well, you know, cause it's also a great way to do exercise obviously, because you look so great as well, right? must be a great workout. But yeah, I don't know. I just, it's not, that's just not the first thing I would think of. And Morton kind of said, right, if it was brother wasn't doing it, maybe he wouldn't have done it himself. And even when he was doing it, he was very reluctant to do it, you know, without, without that force being forced to do it. When it's your own choice, would you go and do it? I don't know. I, don't know. I think well, the question is, why are you not doing it long, long? <laughs> no, to be honest. I think that most, the yeah. uh, most children, yeah. whatever extracurricular activities you put yeah. them through, it's not something that they might enjoy to start with, exactly. whether it's piano, the violin, swimming lessons. Uh, if you start them young enough, mm-hmm. they will have to be forced into it. Yeah. But I think you have to give, you have to give children a chance to 
commit to something, to dedicate themselves to something, to know what discipline is in yeah. terms of dancing. I think it teaches you manners. Mm -hmm. I think it teaches you, it brings you up knowing how to respect yourself, respect your body, know how to respect a woman as well mm -hmm. and treat a woman. I think that's very important. And it's skills that I don't really think that you can learn from that young an age in any other way. So I, I you know, I'm very grateful to my parents. Of course, my mm -hmm. career turned out to be a great success, but even if it hadn't, I think it was, it was, um, I'm very grateful for, for having started it like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. How is the career for a ballroom dancer? I yeah. mean, what are the opportunities out there? You learn, you know, and then, yeah, what do you do? Well, uh, I, I, everybody starts out on a hobby level, of mm -hmm. course. It's uh, one time a week, two times a week, three times a week one hour learning the basic steps. Um, and then you kind of get pushed into competitions early on, I think beginner competitions, et cetera. And then for those, I think who either have talent or pushy parents or, um, or just a passion to continue, mm -hmm. then I think you reach an age where you make a decision whether this is what you're gonna be doing with, that this is how you're gonna be dedicating your life uh, or whether it's simply not worth it. You see a lot of people stopping to pursue a career, university. It's hard to go through law school and try to have a dancing career, professional dancing career, because you have to remember, dancers nowadays are athletes more than anything. Yeah. And just like any other Olympic athletes, it is full dedication or it's very likely you won't succeed. So mm. are you practicing... Uh... I wouldn't say nine to five, but full on practicing every day, preparing for the next competition. I mean, when you're doing, when you're dancing uh, and on a competitive level, uh, it's dancing morning to evening. It's starting at nine o'clock, whether you start with your own practice, whether you start teaching mm -hmm. or whether you have lessons. And I would say eight to 10 hours a day wow. in wow. your dance shoes. Mm -mm. Um, wow. There is no, there is no space for anything else. Yeah. Yeah. That's, okay. Yeah, intense. Well, what, what kind of like parents, if you don't mind like going through that, because you're the first person I know that like did this. If I look across my whole mm. range of friends, you know, if my parents are going to, I mean, Lana, I think you did like golf or something, right. Yeah, and other stuff. No, and I did a bunch of like no, other no, no, stuff no. like piano oh, and stuff like that's that. That's exactly why when you said just now, I was also forced to do ballroom dancing. But it's, oh, okay. and I realized, um, I realized that from what Morden said, the biggest difference is as a kid, you need to understand why you're doing a certain thing and your parents need to understand you. So if my parents had understood, I was a very competitive person. They could have explained to me that dancing, you can eventually get to a competitive level, but all these things that I was pushed into doing ballroom, dancing, singing, uh, ballet, okay. whatever, all these things combined, I couldn't see the competitive part of it. So I just completely rejected that. And I went for the ones which I could see like on TV, swimming, basketball, something where I could see those competition. So I think the parenting aspect of it is actually very important. Like understanding your child. You, yeah, You're very right about that. Yeah. I also think it has to do with, um, with the community that you're in. It has to do with the environment that you're in. Where I grew up in Denmark, Denmark is a small country, but I think on a global scale, we probably are one of the 
countries. <laughs> okay, I think that's the delivery. That was my food delivery that just arrived. But I remember you're vegan, right? Yeah, I was. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah you oh, thank you for bringing vegan. that up. I was. No, because this right. is interesting. Dan eats very, very <laughs> clean. And then I remembered this because I remember during COVID, you said your wife was baking a lot. And then generally, you guys are healthy, right? And then you talking about being respectful of your body and everything. So I'm sure being so professional, it also goes into like, you're careful about what you eat, right? <laughs> and then it's I mean, like yeah, you, you don't you don't have to be I'm, I'm sure people do whatever they feel comfortable doing but being very very close uh understanding your body and feeling your body to such an extent as an athlete does you have to understand that anything that goes in you're gonna feel the next day whether that was good or bad Mm-mm. if you have a few drinks you're gonna pay for that on practice tomorrow it might still be worth it but mm-hmm. you're gonna pay uh and meats red meats mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, sushi it, you feel it straight yeah. away yeah. yeah because you know you're engaging your whole body and it's for many hours so that's why i think a lot of dancers tend to be very very strict with their diets can i ask you something because uh-huh. we both love smoking cigars right do you feel like after smoking cigars the next day like you're breathing or just overall energy is different yeah i mean as my wife might hear this, or probably will hear this, I have to say, no, it has absolutely no effect <laughs> on the dancing whatsoever. Yeah, it doesn't. Um, no, it doesn't at all. No. But yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, I know you're very creative in other aspects as well. Like you obviously love art, like as we can see behind you and you set up and everything. And you said you do try and explore to keep yourself motivated to be creative for dancing like what are the other kinds of art form that you kind of like look for like look where do you look for inspiration um well that's a good question it to me it's everything it's Mm -hmm. everything that i do in life if it doesn't inspire me i'm not going to give it time Mm -hmm. or energy uh art has always inspired me because art i believe is very the love and the passion for art is transferable in a way that now I'm doing watches, which is the only other thing mm. other than dancing that I've ever really loved and appreciated and understood. And I, I've been so passionate about it since a young age. Mm-hmm. Um, and really when it comes down to it, it's such similar mechanics and the understanding, the way you appreciate things. It, it's all, it's all very, very closely connected because it's the same elements of inspiration it's the beauty it's the mechanics it's understanding it and it's executing it to perfection in order to reach something that just becomes mm. simplistic beautiful mm-hmm. easy to watch which is i mean as a as a dancer you have to understand that that all that work mm-hmm. that goes into perfecting your skill mm-hmm. is simply just for people to look at you and find that it's beautiful to be touched to be moved and to enjoy what mm-hmm. it is that you're doing Mm, that's very well said and so i do want to go into your watches but last question before we do start talking about zentier i remember the first time i met you well it was in a group setting at birdies and you were talking about the story about how you chased down this taxi driver you lost your handphone and i just thought is this even real like it sounded like a movie so do you mind like sharing that story my wife is laughing right now 
but it was really, I, I couldn't believe it. And I was like, is this guy for real? Like, is this story real? <laughs> I, well, I'm, I don't know. I, you see, that surprises me. I don't understand what part of that story, like you wouldn't you have done? I okay. lost my phone. Okay, I stepped because- out of a taxi. No, but the yeah. thing, it's Hong Kong. The taxi drivers could actually beat you up. So it's like, I wouldn't even dare. I'll just be like, take my phone, please. <laughs> like, oh, I, yeah, I, I know that didn't cross my mind because I'm, <laughs> I'm quite determined and committed when I want yeah. something. So I, I was surprised. So yeah, let's, let's say yeah. this. The, I'll do the short version, right? Uh, Sunday, going for my, with my wife for a coffee in Central. Mm-hmm. started having a coffee breakfast and suddenly I'm like do you have my phone where's my phone oh my god I forgot my phone in a taxi which mm-hmm. happens quite often mm-hmm. so give me your phone find my phone and I see my phone is still on it's moving around I'm like damn it it's in the taxi and I call this number where here in Hong Kong you've got this service that they can broadcast out on the radio stations directly to the taxi drivers and you can offer them a reward for whatever you've lost yeah and they keep broadcasting this all day so anyway i did that paid for that no response and i thought okay he probably doesn't want to give me my phone back but i could still see the phone so i thought what's the next step get in another taxi and try and see if i can catch up with my phone (laughs) and i did that i uh i got to Park View, isn't it called Park View? Yeah, Park isn't that View. Up? Yeah, the the house. Right, I got like to it. Park View, yeah. and I thought that's it. I've got my phone because there's only one way in, one way out, and there's <laughs> a long taxi stand. Yeah, and I can play my sound from the phone, like yeah. when you go find your phone, so you can play the sound. And I was playing this sound, and I went by the taxi stand one by one by one to get them to open the window. And suddenly, a guy like further down the line of the taxis takes off, and I'm like, he's got my phone. So back in the first taxi in the taxi stand and follow that taxi. He's got my phone. <laughs> follow him all the way to Shongwan, Saiyimpun, get lost in those small streets. And I'm like, oh, damn it. And anyway, I did this for about 10 hours. 10 hours. 10 hours. I was so close. And in the end, so then I realized something. He knows how I look, right? Yeah. So I had to go home. I changed clothes. I put on a cap. I put on my hoodie. I'm like, I'm going to make sure he doesn't recognize me. And as it becomes really late, he goes to typo. I follow to typo. I didn't catch him back again. I thought, okay, you know what? Never mind. I'm going to erase the phone while it's still on, at least. Because, you know, you've got so much information on there. And then I see, oh, he's coming back from Kowloon. So I should give it one last try. And I follow him all the way out to Taiwan. And the taxi driver that I'm in, he goes, Taiwan, he's going to Taiwan. He said, that means he's done for the night because that's where they go to park the taxis. And I'm like, great. So let, you know, and this taxi driver was driving like crazy to get there. He was, you know, helping me. And I didn't even consider what you said. Yeah, there's probably going to be like 60, 70 taxi drivers around. First of all, I get there and I see like an ocean of taxis and most of them are locked. Mm-hmm. And I'm and close. I'm thinking like, oh my god, how am I gonna find my phone? And it just so happens I walk down the street. There was one guy who is you know washing his taxi after the shift, 
And I go closer. He starts to wave his hand like, finish, finish, finish. Okay. I say, okay, okay, no problem, no problem. I thought, okay, I just have to get a little bit closer to here if I can hear this sound. And then as, as I play this sound, he's washing the back of the car and I'm opening the door. I hear the sound of my phone. And so as I open the door, he starts screaming. And I get in the taxi on the back seat. I go, to the, I go over the front seat. I find his backpack and I can hear my phone is ringing in the backpack and he's screaming at the top of his lungs, but he's not, he's not touching me. Okay. He's just obviously upset. I said, that's my phone. And then, you know, so I took the backpack out, turned it upside down, started shaking it and my phone fell out God. and I got my phone. But what did, how did it end? You took your phone and he was just like, blah, 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 swore at you. And then you're like, okay, bye. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Man. That's it. It was just it. And I, I mean, you know, I, no bad feelings. Uh, how, sure how, much, how much, how much did you spend on taxi fares? That's because exactly that's, because like that must be pretty close to the, the cost of the phone. Yeah. I don't even want to think about that. Okay. It's all about determination. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah. all about if you really want something, you're going to get it. I don't care what it's going to, but look, okay. Yeah. To be fair, what is the price of the phone? What's the price of the stuff you have in your phone? Yeah. I'm not, opt- I'm not, uh, how do you say backed up to iCloud. I'm not mm. backed up to anything. Uh, I realized it's been two years. I didn't back up my phone. I need that phone. <laughs> do you back up your phone now? Uh, no. No. I, do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't learn from my mistakes. <laughs> okay. And uh, at which point did your wife just leave you be? Just thought, okay, yeah, he's going to be on this. And, you know, was it like at the coffee stage or did she get in a few taxis with you or? No, 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 no. You had that, that you have to know. If I would for a second try to give up she would make sure i kept going until i got my phone back that's amazing uh, that's really amazing i can just imagine she's like put on this hoodie like supporting him well yeah, i don't think absolutely. that's a story you're gonna hear again you know in any well quickly i mean that's an amazing story I especially know. in hong kong i can't believe that like i can't believe he went back to change I just can't believe. Yeah, like I thought, if I go back to change, it's not happening. That's it. I'm done. (laughs) Yeah. Then you just yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Now we have to really talk about Zentier. So let's begin with how did this whole thing start? Like, how did your love for watches start? How did you decide, hey, I want to start my own brand? Um. Well, going back to like the very early days of my dancing career, Mm. I think around the age of. 13, 14 years old, I've always loved watches. When my parents gave me a watch um, at a very young age, I remember how much I cared for it. I loved it. I needed it on my wrist at all times, you know, like hysteric. If I went and left the house without that watch, we had to go back and get it. Um, And at around the age of 13 or 14 years old, I participated in a, like a workshop, which had artistic directors and dancers artists who did a group exercise they came in they put 30 or 40 50 magazines on the floor and they said you get three hours to make what do you call one of those like mood boards oh okay yeah and i want to look at this mood board and i want to be able to tell exactly who you are you can do whatever you want you can cut out you can write you can draw whatever but I want you to be able to portray an image of your personality and what is important to you as an artist okay. within this without talking. 
Uh, and what I, what I did after three hours, I had a big picture of a case back of a watch with the movement showing. And to be honest, I can't tell you what brand it was at that time. I had no knowledge whatsoever. It was a very detailed uh, movement through an open case back. And then I wrote on top of it, I wrote detailed simplicity. And this was at quite a young age, but this was always how I saw dancing. Mm, mm, Because mm. all those mechanics, all that knowledge, all that effort, all that dedication that has to go into something that ends up looking perfectly simple, Mm. effortless, Mm. and something that people can relate to, Mm. like the dial of a watch, Mm That was, that was where I found my, I think my inspiration, that was what appealed to me as an artist. Mm-hmm. And so since, since that time, it's always been watches. I've always related my love for dancing, my love for the art itself to watches. Okay. And so mm-hmm. when it came to the stage where I wanted to challenge myself into doing something else, I've reached milestones in my career we became world champions, European champions, British mm-hmm. Open champions. We won pretty much everything that you want to win when you set out as a young dancer. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to challenge myself doing something else. I wasn't sure what. Mm-hmm. And then I thought to myself, in order to be successful at something, I'm going to have to do something that I really, really love. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to do something that I'm going to love doing every single day, Mm-hmm. Whether I'm successful or not, especially mm-hmm. if you're not having success, it's very important to stick to it and believe in yourself mm-hmm. and continue down that path mm-hmm. and make that journey for yourself mm-hmm. doing something you love. And I think that's only possible if, if you're very dedicated to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so then it became watches. Very cool. Dan, you had a question? No, it was it was that like, you know, we we we. A lot of people we interview, the collectors, you know, they're all interested in watches, but it's a different kind of mindset that when somebody wants to actually create a brand or create a watch for themselves or, it, you know, I just wondered what that was. But I think you kind of touched on it in your answer, in the fact that you were looking for this, this new challenge at this particular time of your life. Right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I've been collecting watches for a while, yeah. but... Uh... Um, different kinds of watches I think um, maybe higher-end watches what I consider to be grail pieces which for me it's about it's about things having to be just right the way I want them to be the way I imagine they can be and so when I set out to create uh, Sentia I honestly I did no market research I had no idea what a micro brand is. Mm. I simply was like blank. And till this day, I think that's the only reason why Sentia actually became a reality because once I started understanding the market and I started understanding just how many micro brands there are, I think that would have been so intimidating to me had I known about it and I would probably Mm. never have started it. Mm. Uh, But they say ignorance is bliss and Sometimes I think that's the case. And so I just started. I wanted to do it and I did it. Yeah. That's what they say, though. They do say that at the beginning. If you have a bit of naivety, it actually makes you actually do it. Sometimes you over-research it and you, you end up not doing it. And it, it might have worked. 
because a lot of success is also down to the the entrepreneur personality mm-hmm. their actual individual you know can they power through and stuff obviously you know there's going to be certain business skills attached to that but you have to see it through right how did you actually come up with the name zentia um well a lot of thought went into it i obviously couldn't use my name uh as my last name is uh loeva which is trademarked from here and to the moon so (laughs) i couldn't do anything to do with that name uh and then i actually i don't know if i can take credit for it i came up with the name sentier based on just how I thought it sounded, how it looked. I liked it. I liked that it had Sen in it. Mm-hmm. And then the relation to Le Sentier, which I thought was very nice. It's something that I think it's important to aspire towards something. It's important to base some sort of fundamental knowledge or at least the wish to understand something, to learn something, to work towards something that you know, the greats has done before you. Mm-hmm. I think that adoration, that respect is very important. The legacy is very important. And whether you're setting out to, you know, break rules, like, like the motto is for another company, I think you have to learn to understand them first. You have to appreciate it. Whether you like what they've been doing or whether you don't like it is not so important. Yeah. Um, so I quite yeah. like that. So when you were young and you had to make that mood board that best represented your, I would say, character, personality, do you, so it was Zentir, would you say like Zentir is a best representation of you now? Or do you have like a watch that actually captures everything that is like you? That's a good question. Mm. Um, I think one of my, uh, let me answer it like this. One of the first grail pieces for me mm-hmm. um, was a datograph. Mm. And I, I like to believe so. I can't, I can't tell, I can't say for sure, but it might have been a picture of that case back mm-hmm. all those years ago. It might have stuck with me some, somehow, but that's, that's how I'm imagining it at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's been always one of my favorite watches that's always been one of my grail pieces um and so to some extent i think that represents quite a lot of how i see myself mm-hmm. and my taste and my direction okay well what is that's it really similar to me because yeah. I, I love that piece yeah, and so i would say the same that. thing as well so it's I'm funny because there. that piece has come up twice now in the last two interviews yeah. hasn't it like people have said it's not been the first it's not they, they, they've not been waiting to tell you that they have this piece or that the but they there's a just respect there that it stays there and it's a constant right mm-hmm. um and it's interesting how you describe it because i i also see myself my personality in that watch you know <laughs> I, I think even though people will laugh because you know, yeah, fuck off, Daniel. You don't sound anything like it. Because yeah, but on the podcast, I am a particular <laughs> type of Daniel. But actually, if you know me privately, then you you see a completely the like another side. No, you're so, just a full blow. So don't. Even- <laughs> 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 
That's like, don't give all my secrets away. <laughs> no, I think, but it, it's very interesting because when it comes to those very, very iconic timepieces, those legends, those grail pieces, people do, you can't, you, you really can't tell a lot about a person by the watch that he's wearing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think so. And especially when it comes to those pieces, if somebody's wearing a, a datograph first gen or, or, or whatever, I think it, it already says quite a lot. To mm-hmm. me, at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I, to be honest, Morton, I didn't have you down as a data craft guy, you know, because of this, maybe this Latin American, I, I felt this flamboyance in your personality. And I thought, so when you said it, I thought, data graph. Wait, yeah, I want to know. It, what, I have to what, say. What did you think? What, you think was, what was it going to be yeah. then? What was it going to be then? Tell me. Frank Mueller. Oh. <laughs> no, nah, I, was, I, was, I was thinking... Um, something more like Patek actually oh really I was I was yeah I was thinking vintage Patek oh. maybe like a, a 3940 or something okay yeah uh, well second grail watch I would say 5970 5971p mm. okay. yeah. uh, which is again along the same lines my the yeah I don't know if I should be going into my own collection but but yeah, Patek has always been a love as well. Mm. Um, I started, I think, when most people start with the sports watches. But back when, back when they were in the on display in the windows at twenty percent off, uh, I think case design, mm. right? The mm. aesthetic of the watch—that's the first thing you see, and it's hard not to fall in love with it. Mm-hmm. But then, very, very quickly after that, I think comes the appreciation of the higher complications Mm. Mm. so going back to what you said about um kind of blindly diving into starting this brand um how did you even connect with like suppliers and manufacturers how did you find this and like were there like big hurdles like did people help you um i don't know actually it was it was i just I was determined to make it work. And then I kept going down, you know, blind roads. What do you say? I kept going, hitting dead ends. Okay, this factory can help me do this. This one can do this. I can get the movements from there. Okay, Mm -hmm. they don't have the hands that I want. I'll get them somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Uh, Who can assemble it for me Mm -hmm. with the best uh, quality control? Mm -hmm. Is it even possible? Am I even going to be able to, you know, make it worth while can I even make can I even make a profit on this spending what you spend yeah. when you do a very very low production yeah um and so yeah there were there were a lot of challenges but I think that's the fun part as well isn't it mm-hmm. okay oh Dan well yeah like how long would you say it took from conception of I want to do this brand to actually having um a prototype that you were then happy to go forward with into production? Um, until the prototype, nine months. That's quick. That's pretty quick. For, like starting from scratch, right? Yeah, but you have to remember yeah. how the first watch that I did, the chronograph, which is a mega quotes movement, mm. a quite simplistic design. Mm. For me, that watch was all about dial layout. Yeah. It was all about the the proportions of the dial, the size, 
the subdials, the placement, the the hands. Mm. And so to me, that was pretty straightforward. I knew what I wanted. Mm. I I went into Photoshop mm. and I started designing. That's the only program I know how to use because I used to do photography as well. Mm-hmm. And it's the only thing I knew how to use. Uh, and I started drawing in Photoshop and I sent it to a design team and they came up with a final design, put it into AutoCAD. Mm-hmm. And then, so it was the first one was really quite straightforward, to be honest, which is why I think it was mm-hmm. much faster. But at the same time, as I did the first one, I started working already on the C2. Mm-hmm. Uh, and short after that, the Reverence, which we just yeah. uh, finished now. Mm-hmm. Um, and they took a lot longer time to develop. So mm-hmm. with the chronograph, so you started with a chronograph and then, I mean, how did you come up with these names like 1903 for the green one and then 5.01 for the black one the other ones were quite I mean like self-explanatory like the latte and so on but yeah 1903 Uh, 1903 is well to say all the names that I came up with I thought in general it needs to it needs to represent something it's just a name mm-hmm. it's not really related to watches yeah. but it needs to have a story because i need to be able to relate to what i do yeah and i think that is very important i, I mean you're telling a story you are you're you're selling a feel you have mm-hmm. to connect to that watch that you're wearing and i thought to me that green color that i wanted to do on the um, on the chronograph is often known as a uh, British Racing Green, BRG Green. Mm-mm-mm. I love vintage cars. I love vintage Jaguars. Mm. And one of my all-time favorite cars is a, a would-be mm-hmm. a Jaguar E-Type. Mm. And I love that British Racing Green. So mm. I knew I had to do that. And then I thought it would be nice to include a little story about uh, the color of the watch. Mm-hmm. And then just call it 1903. Mm. Mm. Um, and the, or even the the, yeah. the the cost the the cosmic latte yeah uh, that's my favorite one the color wise yeah I remember you said that actually yeah, all the way at the just beginning like can't explain it you look at it and you feel relaxed and you're just like oh, your your heart is just like oh, nice <laughs> yeah. I think it, it's a it and it's quite unusual yeah it's quite an unusual color for a dial but it's so easy to wear. Mm-hmm. And with this soft rose gold case, it mm. it really you can put it on any strap. Yeah. Um, and I love that about the watch. The the color itself, uh, cosmic latte, is pretty much a description that base that 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 describes all the colors in the universe. If they were put together, mixed together, mm-hmm. that's the color you would end up with, which is called cosmic latte. You can just Google it and see the color. Right. And I thought, mm. that's kind of, that, that's cool. That speaks to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, so what about the 5.01 black model? Where, yeah. Where does the 5.01 come in? Well, that watch, I create watches based on what I want to wear. Mm. What I want to wear and the time that I want to wear them. Mm-hmm. So the 501, the black dial for me, I mean, you know that that black dial platinum case. It's yeah. not a platinum case; it's stainless steel. But mm-hmm. that look—that's mm-hmm. something I put on mainly 
at nighttime when I put on a suit or a tux, I put on a white shirt, go out for dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's, what, what I had in mind, I love an interview with Sammy Davis Jr. Mm-hmm. and Frank Sinatra, mm-hmm. an old interview where they show up in their black tuxes, white, uh, black tie. Mm-hmm. And the interviewer is wearing a blue suit. Mm. And they go, it's after five. You don't wear blue after five. Mm. And I was mm. like, exactly. Once it's 5.01, then it's evening time. That's then you change cool. to black. That's such a good so story. That's, that's what I thought. After five, finish work, mm-hmm. have a drink. I changed to the black watch, mm-hmm. put on a suit. Okay, very cool. So after releasing the chronograph, then you moved into the Z2 and then obviously the latest reverence, right? What is the reason you released it in this order? I think that was the order of which I wanted to own the watches myself. Okay. Okay. Like coming back to that again, Mm. it's what I wanted to wear and it's what I wanted in my own collection Mm -hmm. in that order. Okay. Do you think you would eventually make a bracelet one or yes. it's just okay okay <laughs> so you say that as though yeah. it's in the pipeline already <laughs> <laughs> but what's really like i think i think the thing for me like without knowing your full collection of watches right what's very clear to me is obviously this person has collected and understands watches quite well especially the aesthetics of what works and what doesn't work yeah, I'd say so yeah. you have yeah, you have an eye for this. So you kind of yeah. like even with the chronograph, yeah, like all the way in the beginning, I was like, okay, he obviously kind of knows like what works and what balances well and then what people the balance like. is right. Yeah. And Very I, easy on the yeah. eyes. Yeah. And I think this comes with experience wearing lots of different types of watches yeah, and know exactly yeah. saying what's wrong with this dial and this is why this yeah. is off. Yeah. So okay, so now I understand. So after reverence so reverence is your latest one and then um okay we will wait and see i guess i don't want to um yeah. i've got a question so, so yeah. if you go to your website yeah. like some of these watches are sold out yeah um are you going to be restocking them or is that it like you know because some brands mm-hmm. work on a you know it's gone it's gone i don't release that color again um are you going to be restocking or or is that it for you, you know, as a creative are you always looking for the next thing you know absolutely um what you see that is sold out at the moment those are our limited editions mm-hmm. they've been sold out mm-hmm. and i will never be recreating a limited edition um or anything near that limited edition i want to move forward and i think i have so many ideas for what i want to do and trying to push the limits of what can be done at let's say the budget that i want to keep the watches on mm. um that I'm not very interested in redoing what I've done already, especially not for the sake of selling more watches. I hope that the people who maybe are disappointed that they couldn't get one, uh, that they will be equally excited for what's coming out next and, and, and hopefully be satisfied with that. Hmm. Which, which, which piece like is your actually actual favorite? Like, you know, don't give me the PR answer. Oh, they all are. They're all my babies. Come on. There must be one which, you know, which you particularly my... draw, drawn to, you know. Uh, dial of the chronograph. 
No, just to any of them, like the reverence. No, what I mean yeah. is like favorite, my uh, uh, yeah. dial of the chronograph. Okay. Okay. C2 for me was about creating that case. I love that case, mm -hmm. the case okay. design of that uh, C2. And yeah. um, now I will say the reverence, I, I feel is a completely different watch. And yeah. to answer your question, that's the one I wear the most, not just because it is, of course, the newest one, but I think it's in a new, it's in a new category. It's in a new league, the finishing, mm. the feel of the watch, the it's much thinner, which is a very big challenge for anybody who are into micro brands or who own micro brands. They will be able to attest to that. It's very, very difficult when it comes to fitting movements into slim cases. Mm -hmm. uh, especially as you go down in case size of 38 millimeter, nine millimeter stick. Uh, and I think of all of them, I tend to wear what I'm wearing now, the salmon the most. Yeah. Um, it's hard choice. I'm looking at the three pieces now. Uh, I, it is hard. If you, if you only had the money to buy one, it's one of those where you go and say, ah, uh, let me sleep on it. <laughs> because it's, <laughs> I can't even, like, if I had to, I think right now, oh, it's tough. I think I'll go for Spectre. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Spectre. Yeah, I, Spectre I, again, I think that they, and it says it says a lot about the people buying them as well. They're, they're, for me, they're different occasions, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That I yeah. love the adventure in Stone Dial. And I wear that yeah. at yeah. evening, going out for dinner. Yeah. I mean, seeing that dial catch the light in yeah. any like low lit restaurant yeah. or whatever, it's just, you, you can't stop staring at it. I love that. Mm -hmm. uh, but in the morning when I wake up, it's, it's the specter of, this, of the salmon that, that pops on the wrist. But with a Venturine, it's always about the dial, isn't it? Like when yeah. you put that on any yeah. watch, that is the uh, kind of the centerpiece of the watch. As long, and, and I think almost... The case and everything else is to give it the platform for that aventurine to shine off in the best way right you've tempered it really well because the case is like um not discreet not subdued but just the perfect platform to highlight the, the finishing and the dial um and the breguets aren't too um yeah aren't over the top or anything they just complement really well it's yeah, tough. yeah, because people like Aventurine dials aren't like available everywhere. And they're certainly, um, I mean, Lung, you've been trying to get one from Lange for ages, but they're not that available at a, like a, a price point that a lot of people can can afford. Right. So to, to get it at this kind of, you know, price point and get such a package is, is pretty good. Yeah. I also want to just say it sounds like a paid ad, but I really want to say it's not a paid ad. Okay. But um, Martin also makes like watch rolls, like for traveling or like where you store your watches. And I've written about this, like in uh, Lewis's magazine called Another Watch Magazine. It is really by far like the best watch roll I've actually tried. Oh, is it? It's it's the okay. I'll tell you, like at least for me, I've tried a yeah. lot, and I think obviously the number one issue with most rolls is it will roll yeah. around, like because it's usually yeah. like a cylinder. So of yeah. course, there's a lot of brands that decided to change the shape, but the yeah. ones that I have tried that have changed the shape, it's not thick enough. So when you put it in your luggage, which I do with a lot of other things like laptop, headphone, like two sets of headphones, books, everything, and I put the hand luggage up. 
the only thing I'm thinking is, oh, something's going to get squashed. But this is the, um, the one I traveled with in my last trip. And I was really like, whatever, throw it in the luggage, not scared at all kind of feeling. So okay. yeah, please. How about the uh, APN Mooncake box? Aren't you going to use that? <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> People are going to kill me, but. Yeah, yeah if but, you don't yeah. want it, you should give it away to somebody that's desperate for it. Yeah, I will. If um, since it seems to be like um, people asking for yeah, asking for it. But um, anyway, back on back on topic. Yeah, yeah, um, back on topic. Sorry to sorry to drag off, but you mentioned very earlier on in this podcast, um, and you called yourself a micro brand. And I don't want to get too fixated, but but with like terminology and categorizing, yeah. But are you not also an, are you not also an independent? What is a micro brand to you? And if you are in this segment, as you see you are, then which other micro brands do you actually respect to the work that they do yeah. that you like? Um, so in terms of terminology, micro brand, I'm sure people have a little bit of a different opinion about what it is. I think for me, a micro brand aspire to be or become an independent brand. I would no, I would not call my brand an independent brand. Nothing that we do so far is in-house, which uh -huh. I think is what everybody aspires to do. Um, and I think that it's important not to wish your journey away. I think it's important to go out and make the watches and earn the respect, earn the trust, um, of customers who will like what you do and who will put their trust into what you do, your products follow you. And that will give you the support that you need to start creating in-house components for your watches. Mm. I'm not in a rush getting there. I am happy to take my time. I'm happy to make the mistakes that is necessary to learn. Um, but yeah, it's definitely going that way. And I hope that with the experience and knowledge of having created all these pieces, it will prepare me for that time of starting. You know, you see micro brands that I would say are becoming somewhat of an independent brand, starting to customize movements. Mm -hmm. I think that's very interesting work. And those are some brands that I also respect a lot. Mm -hmm. um, or even in-house dials where it starts. I think that's also an opportunity. If you start doing customized movements, in-house mm. dials, custom cases, then we are already on quite a different level. Mm -hmm. um, but any of those components, I think, could work well um, individually, one by one. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's, that's very interesting to me. Mm. That's nice. I, I love every, like just all your answers because I think it makes me kind of reflect with what you said with being very dedicated with dancing and just you're someone that understands like discipline, hard work, and you respect every kind of craft. And I can hear that with every aspect of like how you do things. So yeah, yeah, it shows. I would say it almost shows like how much you trust in the process. You believe there's a process. You believe there's no um, corners. You have to walk in, put in the hard work. You also know that it takes time, but there's a 
complete confidence that you know it doesn't even sound like you have a shadow of doubt that you're going to get there and i think that goes back to you know what you said that the the grounding that your dancing has given you right yeah I, I, yeah i think so to me like i said it, it all is so closely related the the thought process behind everything that i do is is the same mm. and the amount of work that goes in is the same mm. the dedication is the same um it's just i think getting started and not being afraid to make mistakes Mm-hmm. Uh, I think especially for let's say as now I use the term again micro brands for me I'm not afraid to do I'm not reinventing the wheel mm-hmm. right I'm using classic components historic design cues let's say mixing some of my favorite elements it's nothing you haven't seen before mm-hmm. um, but I think it's somewhat rare to see it amongst now that I know more micro brands because a lot of micro brands, uh, of course, just create something that's eye-catching, that's out there, put it on, what's that website called? Uh, Kickstarter. Right, the Kickstarter side. Indiegogo, yeah. And then, you know, uh, raise a lot of money, make a watch, and then maybe you don't see or hear anything else from them. Uh, and it was very important to me when I started, I didn't want to use Kickstarter. Mm. I was like, I'm going to do this by myself. I'm going to fund it by myself. I'm going to do what's within my ability. And if I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail on myself. Um, and, and see, you know, because there's a lot of hype as well. Mm. And I think that is, I, I had also good advice when I started out. Um, and a lot of people, a lot of friends said, you know, you're going to be tempted to do 4,000 watches and sell them mm-hmm. with the money that comes from that. But it's always been the most important thing to me to stay small mm. and important for me to let people know that it's a very limited production. Mm-hmm. I have never done any piece in more than a hundred copies. Mm. And I'm not, and I'm not planning on doing that. Mm-hmm. So even if it's not limited, which is what I said with the reverence, mm-hmm. it's not a limited edition. I might do a reverence years from now um, and have it in a salmon dial if that comes, and but with an updated movement, updated dial, maybe slightly different case, mm-hmm. but I'm not doing a reverence with an adventure in dial. Again, that was a limited edition. Okay. Is that because you want to maintain that special feeling a, per, a you know a, a, a client or a purchaser has of your piece because you you know that from experience as being a watch collector how you know no matter what price point the watch is if it is a low exclusive production you automatically feel special owning that piece right yeah and I, and I think it's as a as a collector well I'm sure you know and you've had experience with owning a watch and then the might not even be a re-edition, but it might just be like a non-limited edition of the same watch coming out. And you're, you, you're, you're left feeling somewhat disappointed. And, <laughs> and, and there is some kind of diluted feeling of love towards that piece that, yeah. that maybe been chasing forever or, you know, and then you're like, ah, oh, I think okay. about the Omega. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, there are a few that springs to mind, but I don't think it's necessary. Mm-hmm. I really don't think it's necessary. I think there's so much to do. I think I could easily fill a lifetime with new ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't see a reason of doing that, which is why, yeah, it's not limited, but it's very on high. It's very unlikely that I'll, that I'll ever do another, another uh, run of those non-limited reverence pieces. Nice. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, knowing how to, knowing this getting this uh, knowledge of making your own watches now and that knowledge is just going to increase all the time has that impacted your own watch collecting journey uh, yeah i think that that's a good that's a good question um my own watch collecting journey to be honest has slowed down which i guess could be said for a lot of us mm-hmm uh, over these years, trend, hype, availability, that's one mm-hmm. part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. One thing that I'm actually quite happy about is that the trend, the hype, the availability, what that has proved is, or what that shows us is how the brands cope with that, mm-hmm. how the brand deals with that demand. And that has changed a lot my view or my wish to own certain pieces of certain brands or follow, be loyal to certain brands, mm-hmm. which I'm actually grateful for uh, because a lot of pieces that I was on my wish list that was something I really, m- I must have it. I want it. I can't live without it. Suddenly became, yeah, I'm fine without it. Yeah. I'm not, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's a turnoff, I think. Yeah. Uh, I think that, that that's great as well for the watch in a way, community for the competition. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. It does show maybe, you know, I think that is part of the reason why in the last couple of years, independent brands have become more um, sought after. You know, they become more popular because of how that experience you have with uh, some of the bigger players, I should mm-hmm. say, and the sought after pieces, right? Yeah. And, and I think now I'm I'm very passionate about uh, art design fashion and you see the same trend towards uh let, let's say if you take fashion for example yeah just a couple of years ago celebrities uh football players would all be you know they're wearing either a Dolce Gabbana suit or they're wearing Prada or mm-hmm. other big brands Tom Ford but now there is this big trend that leads these a lot of celebrities, high profile people to go with smaller brand, custom made, bespoke suits made by mm. what is now, of course, famous, uh, famous um, tailors. Mm-hmm. But it's the same thing that is kind of happening. It's, it's becoming a little bit, I think, less popular to just wear something that is hype or yeah. something that's very well known you go to these watch get-togethers and with 10 tables you very easily pass by the hype table yeah because Mm -hmm. like you've seen it you've touched it you felt it you probably own some of them Mm -hmm. and then like you said the independent brands that's where the massive interest is right now Mm. so i think when you go into the higher end that you know the 
the maybe more seasoned collector, there's no doubt, I think, that people like to hold on to that image of a, a craftsman over a workbench, you know, working on this piece. And the fact that this piece is difficult to get isn't due to marketing techniques, like withholding production or deliberately not making enough or, you know, actually having the pieces and not giving to them the customers. And with the independence, you still get that, you feel at least, you have that genuine craftsman, that romanticism with that piece. But when the hype pieces, I think we all, I think the brands have gone so far now with that, where most of us can see that, uh, you know, it's business. And sometimes when you make it so obviously to business, it turns it off because it, we don't need watches, you know, they are, there's to part that much money with a watch at the higher end, you have to have some kind of emotional impulse to do that. Right. And either you have that romanticism or you have that just pure you know, FOMO feel. I, if I don't get it, I want it, you know, I need to have it. Right. And I think they've, they, they've kind of like all shipped to everybody wanting FOMO. Let's go for the FOMO customer as opposed to, the more seasoned legacy clients who actually appreciate, you know, discreetness, the fact that people don't um, need to know, you know, what I'm wearing or what I have. Mm. Yeah, I, I think, and as a part of that, I think we're talking about people. You're talking mm. about the watchmakers hunched over a yeah. bench doing the actual movement. That's one part. Another part is connecting with the people who had the vision and the, and the dedication to make that piece come alive. Yeah. And to be a part of that person's journey, I think that, at least for me, that's what, what inspires me and that is what relates to me to sit down and have a conversation with the person who actually designed that watch, whether it's cheap, whether it's very, very high-end, whether it's very rare, maybe it's not rare, but to be able to do that, I, I mean, uh, I don't think, mm. I don't think that there is a big chance to sit down with the CEO of any of the major brands right now, for most of us mm. at least. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a very big thing. We 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 always joke amongst the collectors. We say we collect people. Mm. We don't collect watches. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's a joke, but there is truth in that. Because it's the friendships, it's the relationships that you build. It's the stories that are being told. It's the journeys that we make together that really makes it worth it. Mm -hmm. Because if you, know, if you just sit at home by yourself with your watch, then it's only you relating to it. And mm -hmm. yeah, of course, you appreciate it. Mm -hmm. But it's so nice to share those stories with people, with friends. Yeah. Totally. And I think that is an important part of it, yeah. which of course is hard to do with, you know, very big corporations and brands and groups. Mm -hmm. That's very well said. So that ends the first part of our conversation and we're going to move into the reverse around. So now you ask me and Dan one question each or one question and both of us answer. All right. All right. I almost have a two. I almost. I just thought of something. Actually, I almost have oh, a two-part sure. question. Anything that you think of? Right no. Now. Yeah. I'm. I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna ask Dan first. 
Sure. I'm going to go and ask you of what main external factors that tend to influence you into buying a new watch and whether those factors often end up leaving you disappointed with that purchase or whether it, you feel that it helps you to open your eyes towards something you might not have otherwise seen or, or, or journeyed towards, let's say, in your watch collecting journey? So let me hit, make sure I understand the question. So what factors influence me in purchasing a watch, basically? Yeah, but I'm, I mean, as a watch collector, I'm, I, I'm pretty sure I know the factors for yourself but what i'm interested is in these external factors such as let's say social media friends mm. surroundings mm. i i would say number one is probably um friends but not friends. i wouldn't say immediate circle friends like i would say you you mentioned that you know watch collecting a lot of it is about the people and i would agree but then there's a lot about um finding your own personal journey within that right because we don't all collect the same watches um but when you see somebody that you admire which doesn't have to be someone close to you but you let's say you admire um and i don't mean celebrities because with celebrities, I think you admire them on social media, but you don't really understand them. You don't, ha you don't have the interaction with them is so limited. So you definitely need an interaction, but you see someone and you think, you know, I, I admire how he holds himself, how he speaks or how she, she is, you know, what he, he or she stands for, um, what he's done. And you have that personal relationship. You then think, okay, what watch does he or she wear? You know, and does that resonate? with me does that you know does that person inspire me so any person who inspires me yeah then i would really take notice and it could be not necessarily the watch he or she wears that influences but the way they collect you know their philosophy you know what can i take from that collector into my own watch journey that can help me progress through and i think that has happened because i think as you mentioned you know collecting watches is somewhat you know taking a slower pace and that's fine because i do see it as a a refining process of uh knowing oneself and sometimes you do reach a butt and you, you you cannot go further unless your eyes are open to something else you know and you don't necessarily control that time you don't control when that happens mm. um and it's about i think you know, being comfortable with yourself not to buy, you know, going to, the, I would say like, even to some point, I'm sure there's many listeners here that they go to a gathering and you've got people that change watches. Uh, I was going to say faster than their girlfriend. <laughs> but like, <laughs> what I meant was, but like faster than like, there are days of week, you know, days in the week, they, they're just constantly changing. And when you, you know, it's about you no know, being happy with the collection you have. Not, you know, do you need that? No, not really. You know, is it a peacock contest or is it, uh, you know, a collection of aggregation of people sharing, imparting knowledge? 
you know, their life philosophy, their, their experiences. Cause I, that's, that's what I think is the romantic part about watches is, you know, they are measuring time or they've been used to measure time, which actually is what will actually define us as people, how we use that time, right. As we are on this earth. And that's what, you know, differentiates me to everybody else you know even listening in the world so yeah so it's about for me it's about finding someone with that deep philosophy in watches hearing why they do it and thinking ah you know that's the next step that's where how i can improve as an individual and and then using the watch as an inspiration for that it's hard to find though which is why like i i don't buy very often I love that. I, I love that idea, especially when you say relating to somebody else's philosophy and letting that inspire you. I like that. Just so you know, Angus has um, more than one Zentier because <laughs> I know you were thinking about him. <laughs> I was. I was. There's more to know, Angus. He must do, right? Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. why I had to so, let you know that. Yeah, Angus is definitely uh, a person. I wouldn't say like we know each other personally really well, right? But when I see him and I see how he interacts and I, I, I just think he very rarely places a, a foot wrong. Right. And I, I just think like, he's, he's very wise. And I just think, you know, if I could just t- take a little piece of that, then I, I, I'm doing something right. Mm. You know? yeah. and, and I think, you know, you just don't come across people like that very often, but I do feel fortunate to be in this hobby because if you meet one person like that, you already, I think it's a bonus, you know? And if it takes X amount of years to meet another person through the watches like that, I think it's so worth it, you know? Mm. Absolutely. All right, next question. Oh yeah. yeah beat next that one, Long Long. Beat that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, just cut, I'll just edit your part out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so. Actually, it's a two-part question because one I'm just personally very interested in and the other one has to do with watches. Sure. Uh, let's start with the watches. Mm. I want to ask you about skeletonized dials. Okay. And I want to ask you not just what you think of them, but I want to ask you what you think about the philosophy, also the trend and the hype that seems to surround them now when, let's say, when a movement becomes the dial of the watch. Mm-hmm. then there's less of a reason for you to turn the watch over mm-hmm. and look at the back. Mm-hmm. And do you miss a dial? What importance do you think the dial has to the style of the watch? Mm-hmm. And does the skeletonized movement help to, let's say, highlight the case design or the bracelet design? Because mm-hmm. there's nothing but that and the dial, the, the movement. Mm. Okay, so personally... I love like a skeleton dial just because I generally gravitate towards really busy dials. I love, I love how everything's just like in your face. That's just the, the watches I'd usually look at first, but I think, um, because I look at watches, I don't compare them. Like, for example, if you take the data graph and then you take the AP open words, I don't compare them directly. So I think there's a watch for every occasion. So there's occasions where you want, a simple dial, but there's a purpose for the dial being that simple because it's a 
it's a watch that's made to be worn in a situation where you sit down and you really have a deep conversation and you turn it over. And then I think with the open work, it's like, it can be just like a watch that I guess you don't, I hate to say like, you don't appreciate as much, like it's not as deep, but I think it showcases uh, craftsmanship more than anything. It's just about like being able to understand how to balance something so busy with the bracelet and making sure that everything works together. Because I think, I think the other thing that's really difficult with design is either making something very simple look worth the value or the other way around, making something that's overcomplicated work. And I think barely any brands get it right. I think with a lot of the simple ones, like uh, top of my head, I think of like Lung and Haynes, they do these animal dials that are plain time only, but it's so simple, but you just stare at it and you can't stop staring. So one is being able to achieve that. Then the other one is say with the open work. And now I think recently Parmigiani did one too, that I thought, whoa, they did a good job. Um, just so much going on, but being able to look at it and not feel like this is overwhelming. So for me, definitely, um, it's more about skill, like craftsmanship skill and being able to do good design more than, more than it being anything to do with the movement, to be honest. I don't think anyone really needs to showcase like I'm able to put a movement into this kind of style. It's more like, what can I achieve with the technology, with craftsmanship? So that's what I look at usually. Yeah. Is that why you don't buy Roger Debris? I knew I knew that was gonna come up actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't say anything. No, I don't yeah. buy Roger. Uh, all the brands you keep queuing up to in Hong Kong is Roger Debris one of those brands. It is. They just keep rejecting me. So it's like oh, really? I just keep trying, you know. Having said that, you see, yeah. when you talk about the balance of a skeletonized open work dial, right? Yeah. The Roger Debris are big, right? They are big on the wrist. Yeah, it's it's big. Yeah. But it's wear. just uh I think I think with design you can't be literal, and the fact that you try and squeeze in the the star in there, yeah, create something. It's like yeah, it's too much for me. Yeah. All right. Um. Oh yeah, and the other thing I wanted to ask you—that's more of a casual question. Yeah. I noticed when I met you yesterday. Yeah. We're wearing the same bracelets. We're wearing the same yeah. watches. We're I... wearing the same bag. Yeah. <laughs> I want to know what do you think. So it must be. Yeah, it must be. Our collection is very similar. Yeah, a lot of the same pieces in different variations of metals. But um, do you find a connection between fashion style and the watches you wear? And do you think it complements each other or you contrast it? Or how do you feel? Okay, well, first of all, how long have you been copying me for? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I also yeah. thought that the Cartier and actually in the past I used to wear um, a Cartier ring on my pinky as well so I noticed that first and I thought somebody else does that yeah but um <laughs> yeah I definitely see a connection and I deliberately I mean I've changed a lot of how I dress because I think I have a hard time just like to be very honest I spend I put in a lot of effort to like um try to blend into the crowd to like dress down to like uh just like I if I had a choice I would dress very flamboyant and I would be over the top I would be like 
top and bottom matches everything is well thought out hair and makeup needs to match everything so I've gone out of my way to not do that and um but if I had to, in, in a world where I could wear what I wanted to wear I think the fashion and the watches is very related because even if I look at if I could buy the brands and the clothes I want to wear there's a common theme with even let's say the datagraph it can be very subtle but it's such well made like I look at the thread I look at the buttons I look at the cutting like all the tiny details and it's also the kind of stuff like if I think about a blazer I think about the inside the lining and it can be very crazy on the other side but all these details I think about what I would wear and then the kind of watches I grav gravitate towards and it's like yeah I see it it's my personality just like loud flamboyant and even if I look at the price tag, I'm like, okay, this stuff, I know it's not cheap, but it has to make me feel like it's worth every penny. Like, uh, you know, I hate saying this because everyone's going to like be very angry about this. It's like uh, high street brands. I have nothing against it, but I hate the amount that you're paying for the quality. So I either do dirt cheap or super high end, but I cannot do in between because yeah. in between, yeah, I don't see the value. <laughs> Yeah, 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 same. So, so I want to I wanna say, like, uh, yeah, I want to name a lot of brands. But I don't want to piss people off. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. yeah no. Yeah, yeah. But if you have, if, okay. Yeah. One last question. Yeah. Both. If you're wearing a watch and an outfit that really doesn't match, do you change your outfit to match the watch you're wearing or do you change your watch to match the outfit you're wearing? Change my outfit. Ooh. Change Wait, my outfit. How, how, are we in a rush <laughs> yeah, yeah. to get out the house though? Like, do we only have five minutes left? <laughs> I'll change my outfit. Uh, no, nah, I think I changed the watch. You changed then the again, watch? right? I know if you if you heard me right, I picked Spectre at the reverence, right? Because I'm the kind of guy that likes to I like watches that are flexible, that you can get away with almost, you know, that are so easy to accessorize with many outfits. So I don't, I don't generally don't go for those pieces, which, you know, only have one outfit that really kind of suits it. It's mm. just not my, you know, that's also kind of maybe linked to my personality. I like to stay flexible. Yeah. Nice. All right. So that ends the reverse around and we're going to do the quick fire. So that was a good one. That was a good reverse around. Yeah, I actually, that yeah, I was like, God, it really got me thinking. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> Sorry about that. episode, I got to like reflect on my life and like, <laughs> you, know, you know how like, like Morton is basically like he sees himself in the datagraph. And now that you speak to him, you're like, okay, he's a very classy guy. Yeah. And then me and Dan <laughs> have the datagraph and I'm like, nah, we're definitely not datagraph people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's interesting okay. isn't it because yeah, it if is. people if the audience could see on the screen like the three people and three people with the data graph it's like very different but there must be a common thread somewhere yeah okay quick fire okay so quick answers whatever you think of first i think i know the answer to this first one but your favorite cigar hibiki hmm Okay, I actually, I actually thought Libano. I don't know if mm. I'm saying that right, but up there. You thought the exclusive Libano? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, 
Okay, favorite that you didn't you didn't give me a price point, right? Oh, okay. if dream. I'm gonna dream. <laughs> okay, favorite watch brand that is not yours. Ah, <sighs> Jorn. Ooh, okay. Oh, okay. Highlight of creating scent here so far. The reverence. Okay. One thing COVID has taught you. Don't stop. Okay. Just like the taxi chase. Okay. Don't stop. <laughs> okay. Favorite food to eat in Hong Kong? Chasu. Okay. Um, best place to explore in Hong Kong? Explore. Mm. Hoi ha. Oh, okay. Favorite mantra or quote or a belief that you live by? Uh, suffer now and live the rest of your life as a champion. Oh, discipline. Okay. <laughs> Who yeah. said that? Did you say that? Yeah, or he said it. Someone himself. say that. Yeah, let's, yeah, let's say that I said that. Okay. I think that would be a great if I could like if I could get the credit for having said that. <laughs> okay. If you could own any one watch in the world, which one would it be? 5971P. Ah, mm, okay. Uh, okay. Okay, so last question. One thing you still want to do before 2022 is over. <laughs> That's a secret, but it's coming soon. Is it? Ah, hang on, I've got the last question. Okay, ask the last one. Yeah. Well, what's, what's the biggest lesson you've learned by doing Zentier? What's the biggest lesson? Yeah. Don't mess it up, but don't be afraid of messing up. There's so many okay. quotes in here, but all, yeah. like, he did not copy these quotes. Like he came yeah. up with himself. He clearly, he clearly spoke to Alex Lau. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the Muhammad Ali, I might have borrowed that one. But other than that, they're mine. All right. Thank you so much, Morton. I hope you enjoyed this as much as me and Dan did. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. And Thank congratulations you so on like everything you have achieved. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very yeah. much. Thank you for coming on. Yeah. So I if you guys it. want to find out more, please visit the Zentier website or the Instagram page at Zentier Official. And for the rest of you guys, I mean, for the rest of us, you can find us on the waiting list podcast, Instagram page, or DM me and Dan, Jack. Like and subscribe. And of course, happy mid-autumn festival. Thank you, guys. Bye. As always, thank you for listening to the Waiting List Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to reach out to us at the Waiting List Podcast on Instagram or via our private accounts. We'll see you on the next one. Bye. Bye. Bye.